We are in part 18 of our King series through the year of the King. And if you're brand new with us, let me bring you up to speed. Uh, this whole King concept is very simple. We're going to be asking every week, who's the King of your life? What kingdom are you building? Is it you? Are you the one calling the shots or is it King Jesus? Is the kingdom you're building your own empire or is it the kingdom of God? These are the questions. Because your answer to these questions is going to dictate the trajectory of your life. So what we decided to do was go back through ancient Israel, studying their kings, and find out how it went. Well, sometimes it went good and sometimes it, well, is terrible, honestly. So we're going to study this week one of the greatest kings of all time. Now, as we spoke last time, I mentioned that as Israel had split out north and south, and they hated each other. The north was predominantly had terrible leaders and they were much more wicked. The south kind of had ups and downs. Well, last time we talked, God allowed the Assyrian Empire to come in and wipe out the north completely off the map. That was a radical move that God's people were removed from his promised land. That happened in 722 BC. Now, They're wiped out, they're gone, they're out of the story, but the South is still around for 160 years. What did I tell you was the difference between the North and the South? Very simple. Difference? Revival. There were soft enough hearts that allowed the South to have resurgence with God, periodic times of revival. And I I mentioned that we all need soft hearts for God to be able to pick us back up because there's no way we're going to always do it right. There's no way we're always going to make the right decisions and follow the Lord with all our heart. We are human beings. We have ups and downs. What we need is constant resurgence from God. The South allowed that. And we're going to study one of those tremendous revivals this morning. But if you study any revivals throughout history, if you study the Great Awakening, if you study the Welsh Revival, any of those, you're going to find that God uses point people key leaders to do his job there's different people that highlight out and god says you're my point woman you're my point man i need you to lead this for me why because of the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you if you are watching online make sure that you have the fired up the app and you're filling that out all right here's the fill in the blank one leader can make all the difference one leader can make all the difference so we're going to study the best of the best besides king david and King Jesus. Now, not to scare you, but King Hezekiah's story is told over 11 chapters. We're going to cover 11 chapters. Now, it's told in three different books, Second Chronicles, Second Kings, and the book of Isaiah. He t- they all tell a similar story, different perspectives. I'm going to grab all those, shove them together, and tell you one hopefully smooth story. And what that means is we're going to start out reading together out of God's Word, and then I'm going to be jumping all over the place. I'm going to tell you where I'm reading, but I have no expectation you're going to follow me there. Right? We're going to read together the first one, just so you know I'm not lying. Then I'm just going to go off the rails, right? And I'm going to tell you, in case you're taking notes, you want to write down, oh, I should read that later, which you probably won't, but that's all right. If your heart does it, it counts. Okay, no, that's not true. So I'm going to tell you this story. And when I tell you a character story, 
There's going to be a million different points. I'm interested to find out what the Holy Spirit tells each and every one of you because you're all going to remember something different from the message. But this really happened. These stories really occurred. So let's dive right into it. King Hezekiah was a six-generation king in the South. It means that his dad was a king and then his grandfather was a king and then his great-granddad was a king and it goes all the way back for 150 years. Man, he had royalty in his blood, but dang, his role models were dismal. His grandfather was, ah, he's okay. His dad, loser, right? I mean, just a terrible guy. The Bible says not only was he a pagan worshiper, but that he, quote, burned his sons in pagan worship. He burned them alive and killed them. So King Hezekiah, I don't know if those are his younger brothers. I don't know if those are his older brothers, but somehow he knows that his dad made a decision to murder his siblings for pagan worship. What's that going to do to you? Not only that, but in his lifetime, He watched the North fight the South. He watched his own people, 120,000 of them slaughtered. 200,000 women and children were taken into slavery. And it was only by an act of God that they were released. He saw all of that in his lifetime. At the age of 25 years old, he takes the throne. What were you doing at 25? Now there are some of you that are under 25, but I'm noticing a few of you are older than 25. Not good with math, but I'm just saying, right? Right. So what were you doing at 25? Here's what's intriguing. I started being pastor here at Bridgeway at 25. 25 years old. And here's a couple things I know about being 25. Number one, you do know everything. And number two, you have the energy to tell everyone that you know everything. We don't quite have all the balance of the wisdom and life experience on how to use that power but i find it fascinating that this young man after seeing so much garbage he now is going to be on the throne and he has a decision are you going to do it like dad did it or are you going to be something different i know i say this a lot but i really want this to get through to you it doesn't matter where you came from it only matters where you're going Y'all, there's some of us that come from bad stock. There's some of us that have had rough home lives. There's some of us that wish we could hide our family history. Here's what I'm telling you. God is so good at redemption. It doesn't matter where you came from. Jesus Christ has called you to be something different. And so even though things have been bad for centuries, for generations, it doesn't have to be that way in your case. Please don't ever use your past as an excuse because there's been people who have had far worse past than you and God has brought about redemption and power. Where you're going and who you're walking with really matters. So I just want to encourage you on that. Now, he also in his young lifetime watched God allow the Assyrian Empire to take out the entire north. How do you think that affected him? It's interesting his story starts out like this he did what was right in the eyes of the lord according to all that his father meaning his role model king david did you know after watching all these kings doing this study right over 40 kings of israel and over and over you hear this phrase and he did what was he did not do what was right in the eyes of the lord he did evil in the eyes of the lord and every time you hear that my heart just falls Like, man, the whole nation's going to be screwed up. 
And now we got a good guy. We have one where it says right out front, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And my heart raises up, and we go, the nation has a shot. I wonder how this is going to go. So we're going to pick up our story in 2 Chronicles 29.3. 2 Chronicles 29.3. It's around page 380 in the Bibles under the seat in front of you. If you are new to the Bible, drop your Bible open in the middle. Go to the left. You'll find it. 2 Chronicles 29.3. We're just going to read through a little bit of it, just verses 1 through 11. Starts like this. In the first year of his reign, remember, he's 25. In the first month, he ain't wasting no time. He opened the doors of the temple, the house of the Lord, and he repaired them. Why? Because they were broken down. People hadn't cared about God in a really, really long time. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east. And he said to them, hear me, Levites. Now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. Man, when a nation has filth in the holy place, that's not a good thing. You understand? That's bad. Verse 6. For our fathers have been unfaithful and they have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken Him and turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and they turned their backs. Verse 8. Therefore the wrath of the Lord came on us even here in the south. He has made us an object of horror, of astonishment, and of hissing as you see with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword. Our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent. For the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him to be His ministers, and to make offerings to Him. Man, what a cool start, yeah? First year, first month, boom! He's all about revival. I don't care what our nation did before. I don't care what it cost me. We're going to bring this place back in line with God. How awesome is that? How did it work out? Well, really good, actually. He ended up, they purified the whole entire temple. They reset up the entire priest system. They ended up setting back up their professional worship and praise team that were the Levite leaders. And then he ends up doing this huge nationwide Passover. Now, they hadn't had Passover in a really, really long time. And he was just restoring every single piece of it. But then he said, there's another thing that we need to do, y'all. We need to get the house of God right, but we also need to get our hearts right. So he sends out a national decree and he says, everybody, I'm calling everyone to repentance. I need you to turn from your ways and I need you to turn to the Lord. Well, the South, they said, we're on board. What was left of the North? They said, no, thanks. I'm not into that stuff. Okay, if God blows you up, you got a choice. You can either use that as a reason to get your life back in line with your Creator Or you double down on wickedness and say, you know what? I didn't like you before. I certainly don't like you now. So they shut him out. But the South said, we're with you. Do you all know what repentance is? I mean, repentance basically is this. It's humbling yourself before God and saying, God, I've blown it. 
I'm way out of line. You're the one that I should be following. I am embarrassed by what I have become that I have tried to take your job. I've been sitting on your throne and I'm sorry. I confess I'm a sinner. Okay, when you do something like that, it changes stuff. If you go back and study all the great revivals in history, they were preceded by a time of repentance. Huh. Why does repentance and revival tend to go together? I think there's two reasons. At least. The first one is realignment. I mean, this is what this whole year is about, right? Realignment. You make Jesus back the king of your life and you get out of his seat. I think that's critical. You stop the rebellion and now all of a sudden when Jesus is on the throne, who knows what can happen? But the second reason, I think, is because of an emptying. An emptying. Is that when you empty yourself and say, God, I've been so full of me. I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I want to give you more room in my life. Then the Holy Spirit can what? Fill up that empty space. Okay, let me tell you how things go behind the scenes for me. This is the stuff that I pray about our church. This is the stuff I pray about my life. God, I want more. I want more in my own life. I want more in the church. I know that we haven't even scratched the surface of the crazy freedom and power and miracles. We haven't seen the amazing drawing of all the people in our community to feel loved on by you and transformed by you. God, there's more. I want revival at Bridgeway. And in my own life, Lord, I need revival in my own life. I still am constantly knowing there's more, there's more, there's more. And But yet whenever I pray that stuff, here's another dialogue that I keep having. I feel like the Lord is going, so Lance, like what room have you given me to move then? Dude, your heart is so full. You always want to tell me how to do it. You just keep telling me, oh, I want revival in this area, but I don't want it in this one. I want you to mess with this, but I don't want you to mess with this. Dude, even in your church, man, you got it so programmed that if I start messing with stuff, you're going to program me out. I mean, it's like, well, this is kind of how we do it, Lord. And if you could just move in this pocket at this time, and if you could do it this way, you're spending all your time telling me almost like you're in charge about how it should go. So let me ask you this. Are you struggling with the same thing? You know you need revival, but you still want to dictate to God how it's going to work. Well, he doesn't have any room to move. That's why repentance has to happen first to give him any space at all to move. All right. After they finished cleaning up on the inside, they had this huge celebration, a seven-day-long celebration huge party and this is awesome at the end of the seven days they unanimously decided to go another seven i think that is a great decision right man i'm having a killer time at this party should we stop nope another round right let's go here we go seven more days so people were giving more than enough cheerfully putting everything back together and then this it says this in god's word second chronicles 29 26 so there was great joy in the capital city of jerusalem for since the time of solomon way before the son of david king of israel there had been nothing like this in jerusalem then the priests and the levites arose and they blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came to god's holy habitation in heaven y'all that's a verse you need to underline 
Why? Because there's some of us that need some encouragement in our prayer lives. When you pray, you think that it's not going anywhere. It's not getting out of your head. It's not even getting out of the ceiling. You understand what I mean? I need you to understand this. Just because you feel like your prayers aren't going anywhere does not dictate reality. The Bible says God hears the prayers of his kids. He didn't say, and you're going to feel like your prayers are heard. He said, your prayers are heard. Some of us on bad days need to have a verse to go back to and go, no, 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 no. Prayer matters. God's listening. All right. So after they're done cleaning up God's house, they're cleaning up their hearts, they were celebrating. Now they realize we got another step. What's the other step? We got to clean up our culture. We got to clean up our society. We got to fix this. If we're going to really take this seriously, there has to be lifestyle change. So they went out and tore down all the pagan altars that had been for so long in their cities. They were tearing down this pole that was to this goddess and they were throwing away this idol that was to that god. I mean, they had them everywhere. They're smashing them and crushing them. But along the way, this happens. This is super weird. 2 Kings 18.4 And King Hezekiah broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. Wait, what? Dude, it's a stick. You gave it a name? Nehushtan? What? Moses, how long ago was Moses, man? If we're going back, what, almost 3,000 years to do this story? Moses was way before that. That is an old stick. Do you all remember the story about why Moses made a bronze snake on a stick? Okay, super weird. I'll tell you real quick. Israel, they were all in the wilderness wandering with God. And this happens. They're super rebellious. They're like, God, we, we can't stand you. You're a terrible leader. You're not providing for us. Blah, 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 blah. God gets ticked off and sends in, quote, fiery serpents. I don't even know what a fiery serpent is. They come in and start biting the people and the people start dying. So Moses says to God, uh, we have a problem. He's like, yeah, I know. And he's like, well, what's the solution? Well, they got to repent. Well, how are they going to do that? Okay, here's the deal. I want you to make a gold one of those thingies and I want you to stick it on a stick and I want you to hold it up. And anyone that gets bit can look up at the gold or the bronze snakey and they'll live. Okay, that is the weirdest answer to the problem. Can we agree? After I get bit by a snake, I don't want to look at a snake. Exactly. Well, that was this huge move. Oh, God was so gracious to us and it was amazing. And I was totally going to die. And then I like got healed and it was radical. And everybody was so pumped about that story, they kept the stick. They put it in there. And unfortunately, at some point, that blessing became an idol. Now they're offering to it. What are you talking about? It's a stick. Why are you offering to it? Why are you naming it? Okay, this is where we look back at the Bible and we go, man, they're dumb. No, we're doing it too. You're like, what? Uh, I don't have a snake stick, if that's what you're talking <laughs> No, not that. Here's what I mean. Has a blessing in your past become an idol for you today? Here's what I mean. They were so fascinated by the miracle, they forgot the one that gave them the miracle. Have you done that? 
Okay, let's say, for example, you were you had a virus and you were paralyzed. God radically heals you. For the rest of your life, you're always talking about how you were healed, but you're not talking about the healer. You tell everybody the story about the miracle because that's the cool story, but no one's talking about the one that caused the miracle. It is harder to talk about Jesus than it is to talk about his stuff. We get so fascinated with his stuff and what he does for us that we don't even talk about him. Y'all, that can't be. We've got to change that around. Have you allowed a blessing? Let's say you're even talking about the good old days. Do you realize the Holy Spirit didn't die? He's still doing good stuff. Man, if we're only talking about the past, I'm not saying we should forget the past. I think we should learn from the past. But can we also talk about what God's doing? If you're only highlighting what God did in the past, you're not even realizing that that same God is alive and active right here, right now, doing a new thing. Man, we keep falling into the same trap. Well, anyway, it ends up wrapping up in 2 Kings 18.5 like this. He trusted in the Lord, meaning King Hezekiah, the God of Israel. So there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prospered. Now, right there, you're like, that's awesome. I would love for God to be able to write that about me. Man, Lance was legit and everything he did was awesome, right? That would be cool. And you assume that since he did everything right, his life went easy, yeah? No! Some of y'all are falling into that pit, right? What's the pit? If I do everything right, my life's going to be easy. Uh, Quick spoiler alert. No. Because here's the thing, you can do everything right, your heart can be totally pure before God, and life can still be hard. Right? Well, sure enough, he's doing everything right, but then all of a sudden in the 14th year, here comes the Assyrians. Y'all remember the people that wiped out the north? I referred to them last last, uh, week as the big shark nation that circled around Israel looking for a chance to devour them they wiped out the north because they found out the north was doing a little secret pact with egypt well guess what the south was doing same thing Uh uh-oh here comes the shark the shark comes up and it says what do you think you're doing this time they come rolling in with 185,000 soldiers okay that's not good news you're going to get wiped off the face of the earth just like the north did. King Hezekiah starts stammering, Oh, dude, I'm so sorry. I didn't really mean to do that. I'll pay you whatever you want. And he starts pouring all the money from the nation, pulls out all the money out of his palace, and starts pulling all the money out of God's house. Including stripping the gold off the front doors that they had rebuilt only a number of years ago. Now, this is where we sit back in our air-conditioned place in our cushy chairs, and we're like, that's dumb. Why would you pay off a bully with God's money? Why would you use God's money just to try to keep yourself alive? Uh, That's because you're not currently in danger. You're going to find out what kind of Christian you really are when everything hits the fan. This guy is truly facing death, and it's not just him. It's his family. It's his children. Everybody's going to die. How are you going to handle that? Well, this guy actually handled it extraordinarily 
Well, here's what happens. The bully shows up and the guy has like a little megaphone and he starts yelling at them. You kind of kind of picture they're all up in their little castle area and everybody's on the wall, right? And he's down below with his big army of 185,000 and he starts yelling at them. Here's what he said. You guys think you can rebel against us? And with Egypt, those guys are weak sauce, right? That weak sauce isn't in the Bible. You think your God can save you? Your God's on our side. He's the one that sent us here. Nobody stops Assyria. If you surrender, we'll be nice to you. Then the funniest thing happens. Hezekiah's leaders who are up on the wall try to shush the enemy. Literally. Shh. Okay, what? This is what they said. Oh, you got shh. Everyone can hear you. <laughs> Isn't that kind of the point of a bully? And they go, can you just speak like an Aramaic where you and I can just talk because everyone can hear you and it's really hurting their hearts. If you say that to a bully, what do you think he's going to do? He just gets louder, right? Here's what he said. But the guy said to them, has my master only sent me to speak with just you and your master and not to the men sitting here on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Ye. That's quite a response. And then he goes, men on the wall that can hear me, don't you dare let your king deceive you. That guy doesn't even know what he's talking about. And if you think your God's going to save you, nobody's God saves them from us. You see, my soldiers, we're going to crush you. Well, that's a little demoralizing. So how's the king supposed to handle that? He does two brilliant things. Number one, he readies his people for war. Starts making all the weapons, getting everybody organized. He cuts off the water supply because they had a spring under the city. He cuts off the water from going outside. Why is that important? Because if the enemy has water, they can hang out there for a really long time. He's like, I don't want them hanging out there. He does all these brilliant strategy moves. That's awesome. Then he does the second thing. He motivates and encourages his people. Listen to this. Second Chronicles 32, 6. The king spoke encouragingly to them saying, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than are with him. First of all, clearly he's bad at math too. That's all right. Verse eight. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. That guy's legit. Because why? He did the both sides of it. He did the side of going practically, let's get ready for war. I don't know how this is going to go. So he didn't just talk. He did something. But then he also ministered to the hearts of his people. If you can break the spirit of an opponent, they're already done. He built up his people. Where in the world did he get a phrase like that? There are more with us than with them. I think everybody's looking and counting. They're like, nope, nope, that's wrong. They got mean, nasty guys, 185,000 of them. We don't have that. Where did he get that idea? Do you suppose he heard the story of Elisha? Of course he did. What's the story of Elisha? Elisha and his right-hand man were surrounded by an army that wanted to kill him. And his right-hand man was scared out of his mind. And Elisha prayed and he said, God, can you open his eyes and show him what's real? Do you remember the story? And he opened his eyes and surrounding the hillside were what? Chariots of fire. 
all of God's army was surrounding. He goes, no, 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 no. Our team outnumbers them every time. You think he heard that story? Of course, because he took what was true spiritually and began to encourage the people that couldn't see it with our eyes. Y'all following me? Wow, this is to me this stuff is really, really powerful. Here's another thing I think is interesting. Hezekiah himself was freaked out. How do you lead when you're scared? Because that's real leadership, yeah? You're scared out of your mind. How do you do that? You're thinking about self-preservation and everything. Because true leaders can get out of themselves and put other people first. Huh. This is a good guy. But then he does the smartest thing ever. He said, I need a man of God to check in with God for me. He sends his whole team over to get Isaiah the prophet. That same Isaiah that we have a whole book from. He said, Isaiah, have you heard what these people are saying? They're like confronting God. They're mocking God. Isaiah said, no, I hear him. And I got a word from the Lord for you. Here's the word. God says you don't need to worry about these guys. I'm going to cause the king of Assyria to hear a rumor. He's going to pull all of his soldiers away and they're going to go home. And when he gets home, he's going to get killed. It's all right. You're cool. Well, Hezekiah is still a little bit nervous about that. Yeah, especially because while he's praying and getting an encouragement, the enemy is doubling down. Here comes a letter, the letter from the enemy that's outside. Here's what they said. They said this, King Hezekiah, don't let your God deceive you. You think you're going to escape us? We have crushed people with gods over and over and over. You're going to die. Well, that he's human, right? He was up. Oh, I'm encouraged. Oh, shoot. Now I'm scared. Oh, I'm in... Isaiah comes back. Has another word for him. God just said this. Hey, Assyria, you think that you're doing this in your own power? You think I didn't get this started for you? The only reason you're still alive is because I'm allowing you to be alive. But now you just messed with me. So you know what? Game changer. Now you're my problem. Hey, Israel, real quick. He won't even shoot an arrow in your territory. I'll take care of him. You can rest. We're fine. Now, you got to imagine that helps, yeah? Okay, so i got a real quick personal question for you. Life is full of discouragement and difficulty, yeah? Do you have anyone that is prophetic in your life willing to speak on God's behalf? Because the only thing that kept this guy going was a word from the Lord, a word from the Lord, a word from the Lord. Who do you have in your life that will give you a word from the Lord? Because here's what's interesting. A bunch of us came from conservative backgrounds and we go i don't have friends like that those people are weird right and you're still discouraged here's the point god is still talking he has words of encouragement for his people every day he has words of encouragement here's what's fascinating he didn't tell it to hezekiah directly hezekiah prayed he didn't get the message who got the message Isaiah got the message. It's a ricochet. If you're praying for an answer, God may not talk directly to you. He may want to ricochet off someone else. Do you have anyone in your life willing to spend time with God, hear from God, and actually open their mouth and encourage you prophetically? If you don't have someone that prophetically encourages you, you've got to find them. 
They're going to be the difference between encouragement and discouragement. Y'all, the whole idea is, in, in my opinion, everybody's getting words from the Lord all the time. There's a whole bunch of us that are just not sure what to do with it. We don't know that the encouragement that we felt in our hearts, that we should have texted that person because that was a move of God. We keep thinking that all that stuff is garbage. And therefore, we're not even honoring the Lord with the messages He's giving us. Everybody's getting it. But there are some that are willing to hear it. There are some that are willing to purify out their heart and minds and pray about it. There are some that are willing to actually text it. There's some that are willing to speak on your life. Do you know I have people in my life here as a pastor of this church that come in and they say, Pastor, and they always come in humbly and gently and kind. And they come in and they say, Pastor, I was praying and I, have, I feel like I have a word for you. Do you understand how powerful that is in my life? If I don't have the prophetic, it's just me hanging out with me. I don't like that. So I just want to encourage you if you maybe you have your heart open to God moving through you in that way. All right, so he gets this encouragement. And I want to just say this one point. The enemy should have quit while they were ahead. Because before what was the plan, I'm going to have him turn his armies around. But then he started mouthing off about God. And he started saying, God, you can't stop me, blah, 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 blah. And he ticked him off. And then what happened? This is incredible. Hezekiah does this prayer. Super good prayer. Second Kings 19.14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. You guys, that is super cool and, and like poetic. I would never do that. I'm way too practical. I'm like, he can read it. He doesn't need me to roll it all out. You know, the Lord's like, hey, can you roll that last piece? I can't see that word right there. With it. Right? But some of you are, are more dramatic and you'll lay it out before God. It's super cool, right? And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heaven and the earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of this king of Assyria, which he has sent to mock the living God. Verse 19, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Yahweh, are God alone. What a cool prayer, yeah? I mean, he's just all in. And Isaiah comes to him and he says, God says He's going to take care of it. Look at this, 2 Kings 19.35. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When the people arose early in the morning, behold, there were all dead bodies. Dude, that's called God laying the smack down. Do you understand what I mean? <laughs> then the king of Assyria departed and, quote, went home. All right, well, there you go. He went home, Second Chronicles says, with shame of face. Yeah, you just got beat. That's why. Later, when he gets home, he's worshiping in his own pagan altar temple. And his own sons come in and assassinate him. And God goes, what did you say? Right, I'm done here. Real quick side note. I think too many of us give way too much attention to how big and bad our enemies are. I think... We should spend a lot more of our time focused on how big and bad our God is. Yeah? Yeah, amen. 
You know who should be nervous? Y'all, we have so much anxiety and fear in our lives. You know who should be nervous and struggling with anxiety and fear is the enemy. Why? Who got ticked off and how did he respond? See, there's two ways this could have gone. Either it was one angel, because it's in the singular, one angel is out there going, hack, 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 all night long, right? And he's just chopping, I mean, I don't know how long it takes to kill 185,000 of them, but it sure takes a long time. Just hack, 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 right? And not wake anybody up. Wait, hack, 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 right? So it was either that happened or that was no ordinary angel. I don't know if you've ever done that study, but one time that the phrase the angel of the Lord is used with a definite article, it says, and he was God. This ain't no regular angel. You see, this is Jesus Christ before the manger. This is the commander of the army of God. This is the Lord of hosts. This is the Jesus who rides on a white horse. This is the Jesus of right now. This is the Jesus of heaven. The commander that comes in and says, I'm sorry, what did you say? Hey, angels, you can take the day off. I got it. And he comes in and wham, lays them all out. That's King Jesus. So who should be nervous again? See, next time you are standing in front of an enemy, next time that you are having that anxiety and fear, I want you to remember what warrior God we serve. Oh, he's mighty. Demons know all about him and they're super nervous, right? Amen. All right, let's keep moving forward. Now you would assume at the end of this that everything went great. Right? You're like, oh, let's wrap it right here. What a good guy. Everything went awesome. That was fantastic. Eh, That's not realistic. That's not how it went. This is real life, folks. 2 Kings 20, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. And then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed and he wept. It says that before Isaiah got to the outside courtyard, God stopped him and he said, hey, buddy, I need you to go back inside. I've been talking with Hezekiah. I'm going to give him 15 more years just because he prayed. Isaiah walks back in, opens up the door and he's like, so you went around me, huh? I see what you did. All right. That's cool. You went direct. Okay. You get 15 more years. Hezekiah's like, no way. He goes, yeah. And he goes, well, how am I going to know that's true? And he's like, well, I don't know. I'll give you a sign. What do you want? God will give you a sign. And he's like, all right, let me just think of this. Okay, see how on your staircase, because he's in bed still. See on your staircase, the sun is going down. God will move the sun. What do you want? You want it to go forward or you want it to go backward? What a weird question. What's weirder is the answer. The king goes, Oh, moving the forward, that's easy. What? Moving the sun forward is not easy. He's like, but moving it back, that's a legit miracle. Okay, whatever. So God's like, okay. And he moves the sun back. And it goes up the stairs. And Hedekiah's like, whoa. I'm totally going to live. What's interesting is you go, yay, a miracle. That's awesome problem is is that after that he got super prideful and god had to humble him you see all the marks on his record happen in the last 15 years not in the first ones. and then this happens 
there's a new uprising empire by the name of the Babylonians. They were not that big of a deal at the time, and they were far away. So they hear about this miraculous recovery of the king of Judah. So they send him a letter. Dear Hezekiah, heard that you are having troubles, but you are miraculously healed. That's awesome. Here's a I got healed from a boil present. Boo! And they shoot it out. They send him a present. And he's like, that's nice. Those people should come for lunch. So he invites the leaders of the Babylonian Empire to his house for lunch. And he's so high on life and everything's going so awesome, doesn't bother to check in with God. The Bible says, oh, it was a test of his heart. He was so fired up and everything was going so good, didn't bother to check in with the Lord about it. So he starts showing them around the empire. Hey, you guys, oh my gosh, did you see all this? Take a look at the palace, right? Like we had stripped off all that gold and we were afraid of our enemy. And then God went all smash. And then we got all the gold back and we put it back on the doors. And then you want to see what's in my vault? It's awesome. Look at this. Woo, look at all that money. Bam, I'm bling, 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 right? Woo, shut the door. He's running them around all the thing. It was awesome. And then they go home. And Isaiah goes, who was that? He's like, I don't know. They were like the Babylonians. They were from far away. I don't know. They're really nice. (laughs) And Isaiah goes, you know they're the next empire and they're going to come in and wipe us all out. Everything you showed them, they're going to take it all away. And Hezekiah goes, when are they going to do that? And Isaiah goes, it's not going to be for a while. And he goes, oh, good, then we're fine then. (laughs) What? What a lame response. What if it happens in your son's lifetime? What if it happens in your grandchildren's lifetime? Well, that ain't my problem. Something's wrong on this guy now. A couple questions for you. And this one's a little offensive. I apologize in advance. Is there a healthy, legitimate reason for you to have 15 more years of life? Here's the thing. Let's say you get a diagnosis, yeah? You get a diagnosis that you have a terminal disease. First thing you're going to do is pray to God and you're going to go, give me more time. I'm going to ask you a quick question. Why? 15 more years of mediocrity. Is that what you're asking me? You see, God's going, listen, I'm trying to get you to glory. I'm trying to get you to safety. I'm trying to get you to a peaceful place where you can be next to me. You're asking me for more time. Why? What, more time so you can catch up on Game of Thrones? What do you need? More time for what? Oh, more time to build your retirement that you're not going to use? What, what do you need? 15 more years for what? Is there sufficient kingdom advancement and glory to God for another 15. Why do you want 15 more? You know, it's interesting to me because he makes this massive, massive mistake and then he doesn't care as long as it's not in his lifetime. Do you care about the next generation? Or you're like, whatever, man, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. That's their problem. Is that your attitude? Because let me explain something to you. If God lights a fire with us and does a mighty work, but it doesn't last to the next generation, we failed. It is on us. 
We need to hand to the next generation the ability to stand on our shoulders, to stand on our foundation and reach higher and praise more. They should be better set up than we were. But not everybody feels that way. Ten years ago, I was asked by another pastor. I didn't know him too well. We were sitting across the table. And he said, uh, Lance, do you have a passion for the next generation raising up leaders? Are you working on like raising up leaders in the church and stuff? Do you have a heart for that? You know what I told him? No. I wasn't trying to be a jerk. I was just trying to be honest. I was in my mid-30s and I already had my hands full. I couldn't think about doing anything more. I couldn't think about investing in the next generation. That wasn't even in my purview. And that day, the Holy Spirit did a work in me. For the last decade, I've been obsessed with the concept of raising up the next generation. I have three pastor groups that I meet with of young senior pastors that I invest in. Whatever we have here at Bridgeway, I give to them. Whatever they need to know, I pour into them. Because why? They've got to succeed. If it shuts down with us, we lose. But I didn't always have that fire. Maybe some of you need that fire lit in your hearts today to realize the next generation really, really matters. And it's on our shoulders. Can I have the prayer team come on up as we close out? You see, when you don't care about the next generation, they can feel it. You cut them out of things. You don't give them respect, stuff like that. Hezekiah's son knew that his dad didn't care whether or not bad stuff happened in his lifetime. You know how we know that? Because when his son takes a throne, he's going to undo everything his dad did good. But that's next week. Are you going to be the type of leader in your friend group, in your workplace, in your family that's ready to lead revival? Are you going to be the one that is going to go out there and be God's point man and point woman and be able to say, you know what? God matters today. You know what? I'm going to be your encourager. When I... Are you going to be that person when you call through on their cell phone they're going to pick up because they know that you're not calling them to dump on them, you're calling them to lift them up? Are you going to be the one that's prophetically going to encourage someone and say, I've been praying about you and i got a word for you. Are you going to be that leader? Are you going to be the one that changes the whole shape of your friend group because now everybody is slightly more fired up for Jesus because of you? Are you going to be that person? It only takes one. One leader changed the nation of Israel. One leader can change your household. Amen? I'm going to pray that this altar is anointed and that when I say amen, this altar is open. Whatever prayer needs you have today, doesn't matter if it's related to the sermon or not, by all means, get some prayer. There's no reason we shouldn't be walking out of here with the power of God. Amen? Amen. Let me close and pray over you. Heavenly Father, would you light a fire afresh in us again? That, Lord, throughout the week before, uh, since we met last time, God, it feels like our fire has died down. We need that encouragement again, that, that eruption of excitement and passion and ferocity. So, Lord, would you light us up? 
that we might be able to bring that transformation wherever we go. That God, that we would be the leader that says, today is the day of the Lord. That we would be so much in awe of Your power that the enemy's power pales in comparison. God, would You give us bold hearts, strong hearts, loving hearts, compassionate hearts, to know that we do not live for ourselves, but we live for others. God, make us just like You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next time.